0: Blair Cinta. This is Recording Drums. Alright. Uh, this week is my friend Brian McLeod. Do you know Brian McLeod? You've heard Brian McLeod. Uh Brian's very well known for Cheryl Crow's first couple records. Um band called Toy Matinee from the early 90s. Tons and tons of records. Um ironically, I think uh there's so many people I can point to that I've played with that Brian played on the records. Um, I was going through his di- discography, and it was almost comical. Um, I was like, "Oh, I played with that person. I played with that person. I played with that person. I played with that person." Um, He's just got a laundry list of great records. Um, Brian is a master of feel, um, incredible groove. Uh, one of the sweetest guys that you'll you know you know you'll hear it. And he's, he's uh, not officially in L.A. County anymore. He's near here. And he's got a small room, so we talk about that a little bit. And, he, you know, he's trying to get it going um, just on a minimal level. We, so we talk about, a little bit about that in this. And that's it. Um, okay, as usual, uh, please share the podcast, uh, social media, give it ratings, all that mess. Um... My course, The Snare Sound Bible is available. I think it's pretty good. It's uh, any snare sound you want to get um, on any snare drum. That's what I call it, any snare sound, any snare drum. Uh, I have some previews on the website, um, it's available. But if you're struggling with snare sounds or you're looking for you know how to get certain sounds, this is gonna give you a pretty huge foundation of uh, six different sounds, uh, the bonus bonus uh, download has, not download, stream has has even more sounds, um, but it's pretty comprehensive, so check that out. Okay, here we go, Brian McLeod. See ya.
1: There he is. Hello? Now, <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta start the video. There I am. Oh my God. Oh, it's so good to see you, Blair. Oh. Hey, dude.
0: oh, it's good to see you too, man.
1: Me and technology are not friends. This is why I reached out to you in the first place.
0: It's all good. And we're gonna <laughs> let's we'll let's talk about that shit, man. Help me.
1: Help me. Help me.
0: Hey, my recollection is do you remember when I you probably don't remember this? I came to your house in Glendale in nineteen ninety-nine.
1: Oh yeah. To check out my studio.
0: Yeah. Really? I had you fooled that I knew what I was doing. Well, no, because I didn't know anything then.
1: <laughs> well, you surpassed me, sir, and I and I, I approve. <laughs> um, yeah, when I built that studio, I I think I even bef- maybe I had computers by them. Yeah, I must have. Yeah. I must have computer, had, yeah. Yeah. I I think I got rid of my D eighty eights. Yeah. But yeah, I was off and running and doing great. The room didn't sound good there either though, because it was low ceiling once again.
0: Right. It was like two car oh, yeah. garage. It was just a plain two car garage, right?
1: Yeah, it was a two car garage. Then I had a control room and because uh, I thought I was gonna do more like demos with bands. So I wanted two rooms. Right. Now obviously. Do you have you don't have that, right? You got one big room or oh no, well, you do No, I
0: built a wall, yeah. Yeah, okay. They're very, They're both very
1: oh, small. Now, now I want to see your studio.
0: Well, I'm right by your old crib, brah. I
1: know. I <laughs> sold it, though. I know. I sold it. I know. Oh, but anyway, so, yeah, so um, how did this start? I think I reached out to you saying, I need some help, Blair. Yeah. I, so now I'm kind of going backwards. Now I feel like I'm back at my parents' house in my bedroom <laughs> and trying to turn it into a studio. <laughs> And yeah. the ceiling, you know, the ceilings are like eight feet high. Right. I could raise them. Um, I could raise them into the attic, and I could get an extra like, well, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I could probably almost get up to eleven feet, which is pretty good, I think. Right.
0: No, that's pretty good. Here's here's my, well, without without even seeing it.
1: Yeah. I mean you
0: you recorded with Chad Blake, right? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so well here so here's a double sided question. When you guys recorded, was that in room two at Sunset Sound or did
1: you were you in a very small space? We no, we were at Sunset oh what's it called? The other one, you know, where you guys oh, used to Sound be Sound Factory. Sound factory. Yeah. Or, or next to where you guys used yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a little room. Okay.
0: So that's that's the thing that like my journey in this whole thing. Oh yeah, look at that. Is like I think you just try to make it dead because like right. I don't think the low ceilings matter. I think it just you just gotta get rid of those shitty reflections.
1: Yeah. It's and the other thing is I is I when I measured it, it's exactly square, which is like the worst. Yeah. You know, it's exactly eleven feet nine inches wide and deep. The only thing that kind of helps is the doorway. I don't know if you can see the doorway here. The right. doorway is on a corner. Right. So I got one area where it's a different angle. So, right. so do you think like with if by padding it up and maybe base traps or something?
0: Yeah, like maybe a couple like roundish things in the corner. You remember those corners? Those
1: round things that are yeah. like
0: stands or
1: yeah 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 okay well that that helps a lot you're saving me because i was like you know i don't want to go down the rabbit hole of building a building yet anyway yeah no i don't think i'm not i'm not like i'm not as i'm not as together as you blair let's admit it i i uh, I, (laughs) i don't plan on sending tracks to people because I'm a doofus. I, I, I work better in, in groups of people. And, and and I, I totally admire what you do. And I mean, I, even like your, your, the plugins that you have, like I could hear sunset. I could hear the room Right. in your drums. It was like, but that's over recording at sunset.
0: But that's the thing, like with your, with your room, as long as it's dead and you put that plugin on dude, You're like... Even dead, dead,
1: dead. huh? Even dead, it'll...
0: I think as dead as you can get it. Really? Yeah. Because
1: then you're just getting a raw sound, huh? Exactly. Oh, Blair, you're saving me. How much do I owe you? I'll Venmo you.
0: You're doing it right now. You're talking to me, so... Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I really appreciate it. I mean, I've been following you since you started, and just such great stuff. And um, I... Yeah, so, okay, maybe I won't... Because I was considering... And if there's anybody out there who's done this, I was considering getting a shipping container, a high cube shipping container, because they're about almost ten feet high. And I recorded in one once with uh, with uh, Jude Cole, record yeah. producer artist, yeah. and it sounded great. Yeah. But now I'm starting to think the way like how you're working with plugins and stuff. I mean, it sounds your stuff sounds amazing. So. If I can get something similar, because really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm only going to do tracks for friends and family because they're going to be lo-fi. There's just, there's, it's going to be wannabe Chad Blake drum tracks. (laughs) And so if somebody wants something serious, I'll, I'll send them to you because I'm, I just, I, I, I'm just not capable of it. And I actually started doing remote tracking at my studio in Glendale and I just, I lose the plot when I'm by myself and not bouncing ideas back and I, forth.
0: I, I hear you. I mean, well, I'll put this out there. You're always welcome to come here and...
1: Oh, you are a gentleman. Come on, dude. I mean, that would be amazing. That would be Because <laughs> I, I think I've exhausted Pete Min and and... Because <laughs> well, not only do I come down there to cut tracks to send to London and Nashville, but I stay at his place. And I, I, I take him out to dinner, and he won't let me pay him. You know, I'm like, "Come on, come on!" And so I've done some bartering with him, right. but I, I don't want to wear him out. And he he started his label, so he's got his hands full. Yeah. But I appreciate that, Blair. That's really of cool because it's very rare. I mean, I'm 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 working so little. I mean, I'm more doing this now. I don't know if you can see, but I I, I, that's I watch my pile, that's my pile of skis. I watch your Instagram, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I moved up here to ski. Yeah. and and i i, I kind of put drums in, in 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 the in the back seat but it's weird because i have when i first moved up here i was driving down two or three times a month to cut tracks now maybe once a month right and uh but i'm playing live up here playing jazz which is totally new for me i've never okay. i never played jazz i was i've always been a rock and pop drummer so I even changed to traditional grip and. Oh wow! Yeah, so I'm, t- you know, I, so I got kind of new ventures going on, but it's fun to l- kind of live through you and what you're doing because y- you got it right. So I figured I'd go to the man,
0: dude. I'm just trying. Are you? Are you? So <laughs> Fine, you're, 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 you're doing? Uh, you know how it is, dude. I'm. You know, yeah, I know. Yeah, um, you're using those symbols live, huh?
1: Uh, uh, on the jazz gig, I'm using. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah because it's a it's a tiny little jazz lounge okay. and i'm not good enough my jazz shops aren't good enough to play quiet right you know how hard it is to play quiet like do a drum solo at you know i do just like in fact i started even using timbali sticks because i didn't want to use bundles because you know bundles just they have a sound and it. it's a cool sound but it's not for jazz so, yeah, the quiet symbols work for that pretty well. I put sizzles in them, nice. which is plenty of holes for sizzles. You could right. put 5,000. <laughs> That's something you would do. Um, put it off, fill it with sizzles. You should, do, you should try that. I bet you it would sound amazing. There's
0: this whole funny thing going on. So I talked to Chris McHugh last week. Right. Well, you know, you know, yeah. yeah. And the whole like, he 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 had a rant on about putting shit on your symbols and it's like, <laughs> it kind of it kind of caught fire. It's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, no, you you've just I I think you've kind of uh, taken the lead of like what Keltner has always been about. You know, he's 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 my bro. We 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 have the same birthday, twenty years apart. Yeah. Um, I in fact, when I turned what did I turn 40? I asked him, Hey, let's have a hundred years of drumming party. And he was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I love all the experimenting you, you do and all that stuff. And thanks man. And, and uh, you know, I, I kind of do some of that when I'm in a studio at sunset. I mean, sunset kind of became my home yeah. for a while there the last couple of years I was working a lot.
0: Yeah. That's the last and, time I saw you. I think we were
1: yeah, I, I would see you there a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's great. I, I mean, I love to play drums traditionally tuned up loud and that. But I also like experimenting like you yeah. do and all that stuff.
0: I think it's and I'm often,
1: like you. I'm always looking for weird stuff and going to the hardware store and going, hey, that sounds cool.
0: I think it's cool yeah. You're pl- you're playing jazz, man. I mean, it's,
1: oh man, it, but it, believe me, I, I'm, 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 I'm a rookie, but, but it's, but it's coming along. Even the, the old jazz guys I'm playing with, you know, they don't compliment much, but they're like, yeah, man, you're starting to get it. Right. Yeah. yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. You just, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of those things like, you know, reggae or something, you know, cause people, you know, cause I've played with Ziggy Marley and stuff and people right. are like, "Oh, you must be a good reggae drummer. And I'm, oh, I'm terrible. He calls me for the pop songs. Right. I'm his little pop. Dude, you know, but, I'm in the pocket but, for when he has a pop song. But
0: like that, but it's
1: some yeah, jazz and blues and and reggae are like you got to live the lifestyle to really really get it. I think. And uh yeah, I mean, I'm gonna live the jazz lifestyle. I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not doing the the hair on. I'm not gonna do the drugs. But the pipe helps. The pipe helps, yeah, yeah, because yeah, right, right. Monks pipe. a lot of them. smoked. I'm pipe. sure a lot of them
0: did, yeah. And the goatee,
1: and the goatee. <laughs> okay, okay, so and I'm halfway. Yeah, goatee.
0: goatee. Yeah,
1: man. I'm halfway there. No, I just need the chops. No, oh!
0: one of the one of the one of my favorite records, though, dude, is that Dragonfly record, the Ziggy record, because
1: oh yeah, yeah,
0: dude. That record is like oh, thank ridiculous, you. dude. We should have talked about this before, but we'll do it publicly like yeah like that one tune you were telling me i was i was asking you once about like what's that one tune where it's kind of the high kick term you're like oh that was a 16 inch floor tom
1: yeah it was a 16 inch floor tom with a kids like a a kid's snare from like a pts drum kit it was a pts drum kit i bought it pro drums and i just saw it it was like just one of those you know totally off things, I was like, right. whoa, it sounds pretty cool. I, like, hit the snare and go, hey, this thing sounds pretty cool for a little tiny kit." They go, yeah, we just, it's used. You could buy it cheap. It was used on the Marilyn Manson video. And I went, oh, my God, I got to buy it. Just for that. <laughs> right. But I ended up using it. Yeah. Right. On, yeah.
0: I mean, I literally just had the same experience. So, I'm, like, I'm literally 20 years behind you now where I went to Pro Drum and there was a CB kit for 150 bucks, And I was like, oh, that's amazing, yeah. and it sounds incredible, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I remember I I read an interview with Questlove, and I think he had a gig. Something came up fast, and he was in Vegas, so he went to a pawn shop and bought like a CB kit. And he said, "I played it live, and it sounded great." But I I think that really comes down to who's playing it, right? I mean, you could sit behind anything and make it sound great. I'm sure it's like you could sit. I'm and you probably have played on boxes. But you, you, yeah. you know,
0: that's about having a concept you,
1: right? what you can do with. I mean, this is just a little I bought this. This is a used Catalina kit. But what I love about it is their mahogany shells. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So they, they have a nice dark pitch to them. Yeah. And I haven't used them on the gigs because I'm just taping up the heads. But I, I have calfskin heads for, for it for when the time comes. I can actually play at a reasonable volume. Right. And I can't wait to do that. But yeah, I'm always hunting for, for the working man's drums. I, <laughs>
0: right, I love
1: the boutique drums and a lot of my friends make them and they're beautiful and I totally admire them. But I, but I I have a bunch of vintage radio King kits and stuff that they're yeah. kind of remaking. So I, I don't have, I can't justify throwing down for one of those as, as beautiful as I think they are.
0: Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I, I mean, as long as they sound good, it's like... It's, yeah.
1: Okay, now I'm going to ask you about miking this kit okay. in a little okay. tiny room. What do you think? Because I sold everything, Blair. I sold my house turnkey. Okay. I sold it to a, guy, a musician from San Francisco and he bought the house because of the studio.
0: Okay.
1: And he, there was a little bit of a bidding war. Mm-hmm. You, you, you'd you be so surprised, Blair, if you ever sold your house in Glendale. You, you'd be laughing. Because yeah. bidding wars start... And, and it came to where these two guys were tied and my 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 uh, my German uh, realtor who was amazing he was a total dita you know <laughs> turtleneck and the product glasses right. He's like Brian, we are down to two people. I think it's a stalemate now. what do you want to do And I go, well who are the two people? And it goes, um, single guys in advertising downtown and who are the other people a nice young family from san francisco and that's where i'm from right and he's a musician and he loves your studio and i said okay he gets right.
0: it end of story yeah
1: yeah so so just because they went so over i i just pretty much said you can have everything because wow. you know how my studio closed did i ever tell you how i just kind of shut the door on my studio no it oh I had this crazy adventure going to Bahrain to play with Jackson. Right. It never happened because as my plane was coming into Bahrain, his manager at the time took him and the family and flew them to, to Ireland because she didn't want him to make a record with The Prince, because The Prince wanted to start a label, and Michael Jackson was his artist. She told, she told Michael, I can get you a billion-dollar record deal with Sony, so don't do anything with The Prince. But we were communicating to him, and when I got there, The Prince was like, so what do you got on your computer? And I was sweating bullets. So I, I, I had like three tracks, and I said, well, you could send him these three, and I was like, God, what, what is he really going to respond? He came back and responded, and ironically, Michael liked the track that sounded the most industrial. It sounded like Nine Inch Nails, had all these industrial sounds in it. And I realized, oh, because there's a breakdown in the middle with all the machines, and he probably already has his dance moves ready for it. Oh wow! So I was so excited, and and just you had to pinch me, man. Every morning, I was like, Am I really here doing this? And then finally, when the Prince realized Michael wasn't come coming back, he sent us home, you know, in a nice way. L- 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 anyway, I came home to Glendale oh, and I just was like, screw it. And I just kind of shut the door in my studio. I just was so, that was, it was so painful that I did that. And then my work started picking up. So I just never went, it, I just started using it to store drum kits.
0: Right. So wait, you 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 were you asked to write, like come with tracks to that session? Yeah, La was there too, right? Yeah,
1: LaVita came after me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of wish I was there when LaVita was there. That would have been a hoot. But you, yeah, were I was from, with Bill Bichell. The- Bill okay. he he asked me to bring some tracks. Okay. And and I didn't. Oh right. I kind of had them in my back pocket just in case, but I didn't realize that like the Prince was going to come to the studio and go, play me what you got. I was like, oh my God, I wasn't really prepared, but Michael liked one of them and uh, that was pretty cool. And so I had my, I was just like, I can't believe this. And it was just a basic track. It was just drums and bass, you know, and, and, and some, you know, some synths and stuff, but It was a starting point for something. And I I think Michael just liked the industrial sounds and stuff. But anyway, so I came home and then think about it, Blair. Then what happens? Then he fires that manager who is, I don't want to be getting slander, but basically he fires his manager and decides to go out on tour so he can make some money because the Prince was basically funding Neverland and all his lawyers and everything. Wow. So... um. Where does he end up being buried? Glendale. Right. All right. I'm like, it was full circle. He <laughs> could have just come over to my studio in Glendale and we could have made a great record. <laughs> that would have right? been something, huh? Right, no uh, pressure. Oh, so sad. Yeah. Anyway, it's all good. Everything comes out in the wash, I guess. But yeah, now I got a new life. I'm up here skiing, playing jazz on the weekends, doing occasional sessions. Right. Um. And it's great because I love I still love LA. Don't get me wrong. I, I you know, people diss it. I, I I think it's one of the most creative places on the planet. And and you know, people have asked me to news move to Nashville and I'm I'm like, yeah, but there's no good skiing. You know, it's like <laughs> right. Right. and I'm two I'm two hours away. I've done sessions and come home at night, you know.
0: Right. Well, you but, need your sanity, man. That's okay. That's important. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's kind of like that. It's kinda about my sanity now. Yeah. I'm um, an old, I'm an old man. Yeah. So when you when you uh
0: how do I phrase this question? You were doing you were doing wire train and you guys were kind of like a thing. Yeah. Did that Did that turn you? Was it that and Cheryl where your studio thing kind of took off, or what? What was the? Yeah, kind of- You
1: want to know you You want to know what? And this would be great to share with people. When we did so many records wire train we you know the record company were very generous with their budgets and we worked with so many amazing young producers that i was one of those what was that was bill Bill, well he bill was like already off and running and i was amazed. i kind of begged him to do the wire train okay early on guys like tim palmer oh yeah we we were like his second record he ever made okay oh here's a good story i'll throw this in there too so tim palmer we became mates when we were recording in London. And I was I was hanging out in the studio because I wanted to know like, how do you get the drums to sound like that? And I was so excited about recording. And even though I was in a band, I was kind of treating it almost like a session drummer because I wanted everything to be perfect. And I was paying attention to what he was doing to the point after some of the recordings, when the band left, uh, I would uh, I would give Tim drum lessons. How cool. Yeah, so I was given Tim drum lessons, and he was recording it on his big old VHS thing, you know? Okay, right. So fast forward, I go to to London to play the Reading Festival with Wire Train, and and I call up Tim to invite him down, and his wife answers and goes, oh, he's up in Bath, England right now recording with Tears for Fears. I'm like, oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So after the gig, I called him and said, hey, man, we missed you. And, and, and I asked him, I said, so who's playing drums? Is it like Manu Kaché or Phil Collins? Who's playing drums? And he goes, brace yourself, mate. I am. All those drum lessons okay. paid off. Oh, I was sure. like, you bastard. <laughs> and then he goes, but not to worry, because I showed Roland some of those videos of you giving me lessons. And he said, hey, is that guy available for touring? So that's how I got in Tears of Fears. So basically what I'm saying is that I built a relationship with every producer I worked with. Don Smith. Don Smith and I got along really well so he hired me for other records after Wire Train. Right. Or maybe either the band, the drummer wasn't quite up to par and this is before Pro Tools so there wasn't a lot of cutting up. And and usually when I play drums on a on a band's record because I've been in bands like you have I may I tried to make it special for the drummer. Yeah. I'd say, you come down and you watch what I'm doing and I'm going to show you some tricks. And I'm going to, so it was like a drum lesson on how to record. Yep. And then sometimes at the end of it, I'd give them a snare drum, hmm. you know, and say, here, this is a, one of this snare I really love. I've got two of them. You can have this one. Wow. And I did that on quite a few records. And, and, and then the producers saw how I behaved around the band and I made everybody comfortable that if, if the drummer wasn't, ready yet to record he would they would call me but now with pro tools and plugins and (laughs) you know
0: what's funny man is i remember hearing about that and i won't name any bands but i remember hearing about that like in the early 2000s about you doing that
1: yeah Yeah. and and i didn't ask for credit on the records i didn't care i mean some of them i did they gave me but i i don't care i just want i just want the bands to be successful and and you know have a have a good journey and i want the drummer if he's not going to play on the record i don't want him sulking in the corner i want it i want him to right. pay attention and it's like so next record right you're going to be playing drums on it
0: yeah because we all know that like that happens to everybody at some point yeah. you get replaced whether
1: and it's a bad feeling it's it's heartbreaking yeah. and, and you know it's like your first record you've been playing all over you know the songs and you're, you're not playing on the record
0: yeah Did you have that experience with, not with wire train at all, but like, did you have that experience early on with anything? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I, had experience early on as a band, like what, what was the thing though? Like what, what, like you always played well with a click or what was your,
1: yeah, I was really good with clicks and you gotta remember, I started on tape. So I was able to play with clicks. I did really well under pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of producers, and I'm not trying to brag, but producers said I had a, a really well-balanced feel. Like, you know, some people, young drummers, they come in and they're smashing their hi-hat, you know? So they're you have to tape up the mic over the snare and all that stuff. But I had a pretty balanced feel. Right. And that comes back to this room, which is I pl- practiced in a bedroom and I wanted it to sound like the records. Right. Right? Yeah. You're sitting there and you're like... Whoa, Charlie Snares, it's cracking. Oh, that okay, you know, and the ride cymbal's not too loud, and, right. and that kind of stuff. Right. So yeah, I'm bad. But, you, but the
0: fact that you were aware of that, like at such a, such a young age, is yeah.
1: I mean, I mean, the fir- the first record I did, I was seventeen, and I was playing Simmons. <laughs> Wow. So I was like one of the first guys to have Simmons in San Francisco. Wow. They came like direct from the factory. And I played on a great slick record when I was 17 or maybe yeah, 17 or 18. Maybe I just turned 18 and did American Bandstand. And, that, and, and it like took that and took my parents to see me on TV on American Bandstand to call their friends and brag about it for them to finally go, OK, you don't have to get in. You get a real job this right. this will you can do this thing you're doing
0: right <laughs> well, how, well how did that happen how did the grace Slicker record happen
1: i'm so oh the grace L- um i was playing in a band called group 87 and the guitar player was playing on grace's record and so he said hey i, I know this kid he's got these electronic drums because she wanted to do something modern right. and uh so she called me in and we're still friends and i'm friends with her daughter china really good friends oh wow but yeah, it was all San Francisco. So I started in San Francisco doing sessions and playing in bands. And and like you said, I, I kind of just kind of morphed into doing sessions. It wasn't, I always wanted to be in a great band. I mean, my goal as a kid, I was so focused. It was like, I would look at records and see Led Zeppelin and their airplane. I'd see, you know, Keith Moon. I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to join a band, travel around the world. And then when I'm 30, <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna retire in Lake Tahoe and ski.
0: <laughs>
1: well, I got close.
0: Okay. You know? I, it's, <laughs>
1: I'm, in, I'm in Big Bear, mini Lake Tahoe. Right. I was never a rock star like that. You, well, you've but, done
0: you've done fine, dude. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, but I, I, I stayed pretty on course. You're right. I did stay pretty on course, but yeah. but yeah, I always had a plan. So this. This wasn't like, like out of my mind to just go, I'm selling my house and moving to the mountains. It was kind of always in the plan since I was like 14.
0: And Kevin was part of wire train or not? He was, or was he separate?
1: Kevin Gilbert. Kevin Gilbert was friends with wire train and he used to sit in with us. Okay. Kevin Gilbert is the reason I came to LA. Okay. Toy matinee was auditioning drummers. Um, My favorite records. Oh, thank you. Oh, come on, man. Yes. that's got kind of a crazy story. I was up in the Bay Area uh, teaching drums and playing in a band called The Spent Poets. And we shared a rehearsal room with Primus. So I used to jam with Les all the time. And I was teaching drums in that same room. They let me use it during the day. Well, Kevin called me up one day and said, hey, man, I wish you could be in this band, but... The producer really wants terry bozio and i know you know him and you're friends with him do you have his number this is a true story i go yeah i got his number and i didn't expect anything so i so i gave him the number so the producer calls terry and terry i gotta let the dog out who let the dogs out i did there you go girl okay so um so terry said oh man i'm really busy with missing persons or something i don't know it wasn't missing person something Jeff. And uh, he said, but he goes, but I know this guy you could hire. His name is Kurt Wartman, and he lives up in Berkeley. Kurt Wartman was my next door neighbor in my apartment building. Whoa. So Kurt didn't know who Pat Leonard was Okay. and said, oh, I, I can't do it. I'm really, really busy. But, but my neighbor, Brian McLeod, is, is, you know you might like his drumming. So that way, Pat heard my name twice. He heard it from Kevin and then had to go all the way through Terry Bozio. And so then so then Pat was like, okay, you can fly down and, and audition. And I was like, I'm not going to get this. The limo picks me up, takes me to his studio. I'm like, right. I think I had my stick bag with me and I played the first song. And this was all to tape okay. with all the loops and everything. Right. And I was good at playing to loops. I mean, the thing that people told me is that I could make these tracks breathe. Mm -hmm. In other words, I didn't just play to the click. I would pull my fills back before going into the chorus and get a little more on top of the beat for the choruses or whatever to a click Mm -hmm. to to, uh, sequencers. So after the track, Pat goes, hey, man, can you come in here? And I was like, okay. Do
0: you remember what the track was?
1: Uh, I think it was Queen of Compromise. Okay. Yeah. So I like zip up my stick bag and walk in and, and into the control room. And he looks down at me with a stick bag and he's like, um, you're hired. When can you start? We can put you up at the Oakwoods. I could put you on the salary and blah, blah. Wow. I was just like, what? And then he goes, oh, we just recorded this track. You want to hear it? And back in these days I was drinking and he hands me this like 6,000 year old glass of Coney. <laughs> And he hands me this glass of cognac and cranks up like a prayer. They had just finished the mix and he cranks it with oh, the okay. full volume. And that was like a paradigm shift for me. It was like, Whoa, this is really happening. Yeah. Oh my God. And, 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 and Guy Pratt and I bonded because I spent a lot of time in London and Guy was, I think told Pat, yeah, I want this guy to be in the band. So yeah. that's, I think what happened.
0: And what, um, what studio were you at?
1: Pat's studio. He had his own studio. It was beautiful. Oh, okay. Right there on Hollywood Way. It was called Johnny Yuma. Huh. I, Interesting. How <laughs> many funny stories? I remember I called my girlfriend to tell her I think I got the gig, and I looked down at the Xerox or on 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 the the desk where the Xerox machine was, and I saw a check to Pat from Warner Chapel for three million dollars. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. So I took it and I Xeroxed it. I mean, did you try to cash it? I mean, I was driving this beat up Volvo living in a studio apartment the size of this drum room. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm living in LA. And both Pat and Bill Battrell was producing that record. Pat didn't even want to produce it. So, and I knew Kevin really well. And 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 guy was crazy wild man, amazing bass player, rock and roll. So I it was like a band. I was like, wow, I'm in a band again. Yet wow. at a new level, and uh, it was fantastic. It was so much fun.
0: Did you guys tour much, Toy Matinee?
1: No, unfortunately the band imploded. Okay. You know, because because guy was in Pink Floyd. He's like, right. I can't tour. Right. And I think I think Tim saw the writing on the walls and was like, you know, I really want to do sessions. And then after Wiretrain was on a hiatus for like four years, we got a a record deal offer from MCA and it was a lot of money. And it was the stipulation was I had to sign the contract. And I remember being in London and the guy's like going, you got to sign this thing now. And I couldn't make up my mind what I was going to do. And I was hanging out with Guy Pratt. Right. And he was like, oh, I'm not doing it. I can't. So I was like, this is going to implode okay so I signed the wire train contract and you know everything did was what it was but poor kevin had to fulfill the contract and he put a band together and he got toss panos who's an amazing drummer and yeah and he got this this little keyboard player to play keyboards her name was Cheryl Crow mm.
0: right. <laughs> and that was post her touring with michael singing backgrounds obviously yeah yeah, yeah. Wow, what a crazy, and then Jeff. So, and you had stayed in touch with Jeff. Wait, Train hadn't played for four years?
1: Just kind of around, we played around San Francisco. I think I was painting houses. I think one time I was like, I was painting houses or doing something like that with Jeff Trott and Wiretrain came on the radio and we were like painting this house and looking at each other like, what happened? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow! So I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a rough ride. You so, know.
0: So then you you stayed in L.A. after that experience, though. Yeah, because yeah,
1: that's what I was going to say. Is after we finished the record, Bill Betrell and and Pat said, "Hey, man, because I was just going to head right back up to the Bay Area." And they're like, "Hey, if you move down here, we'll use you on other stuff." Right. And I was like, "Wow!" So then Bill had me play on a Thomas Dolby track, and right. Pat had me play on a Madonna track, and right. Yeah.
0: What was the Madonna track?
1: Um, I'll remember. It's a song called "I'll Remember." Okay, that's how I remember it because it's called "I'll yeah. Remember."
0: Yeah, well, that works.
1: It was just kind <laughs> of this ballad. I mean, you can barely hear the drums, but I did do play a lot of hand drums on it.
0: Right. That's
1: always been my other secret weapon: is having like a lot of strange hand drums, not not your typical bongos and congas, and because I, you know, I know so many amazing Latin percussionists. Yeah. I went the other way and got African drums. Mm-hmm. And weird stuff that and just kind of made up my own rhythms and would we'll make these these rhythm beds and then play on top of them and i don't want to say i was the pioneer of that right but like that's what i did on every day's a whining road i used to I make i was gonna loop.
0: say right the bonga yeah, came first
1: yeah i like to i like to make loops and then play against them and, right. and so that's what i did with i'll remember and i think that's what i did yeah
0: wow and what but what where did that where did that idea come from like the the african drums and
1: um i think it's because when i was a kid i used to in this band group 87 we used to play with drum machines Mm -hmm. and i was in this early band an art rock band from san francisco called tuxedo moon and they were all drum machines and then i played on on some of the tracks real drums and this is back in 1979 so wow Yeah, so I was playing to machines and all that stuff, and and I liked it. I really liked it because it it kept the ground there, and it had a bed, and then I could just improvise over it, or or you know do colors, or just come in on the choruses or whatever, and the right. real ones come in. And you know, it's that kind of Peter Gabriel thing. I was really into Peter Gabriel when I was a kid. And
0: that's a that's a interesting experience because most people don't experience that until they get into a studio, right. You know what I mean? Like the idea, well, I think there's a few things from that. One is just your time and playing with machines that young. Two, the idea of leaving space. Like, hey, I'm yeah. just going to come in on the chorus and just add to this. Yeah. You know, rhythmic, whatever's happening. Yeah. You know, that some, I mean, for me, it was the opposite. It was, it was like, oh, wait, I can use the studio like this. Like, yeah. I'm gonna,
1: you know Absolutely. what I mean? Like
0: the exact opposite experience.
1: Right. Right. But you're doing an
0: amazing job, buddy. Yeah, but it's not about me. It's this is about you. <laughs>
1: um, no, but but it, yeah, no, I think we yeah we all have yeah yeah we all have our journey, you know. And mine was pretty odd, you know, because I was playing art rock when I was a kid, and you know, I, I studied with Narda Michael Walden when I was 14. My mom had to drive me to San Francisco from the South Bay and so i wanted to be a you know i was listening to billy cobham and you know all the did, did, did
0: you run into tony up there
1: tony williams no but my buddies took lessons from him, and they all complained because tony would put you on a practice pad for like like a year wow. and you know what i get it
0: right i get what
1: he was doing um and they dropped out because they just couldn't handle being on a practice pad for a year. If I could have afforded it, that, that's why I quit with Narda because I was, I was paying for it and it was expensive back then. Yeah, kid, fourteen. I, I saved all my, right, work money. I worked at a, I worked as a janitor. It's the only job I've ever had, and and you know what? Doing it was great because then I went like, I don't want to be a janitor. Right. I want to play drums. You're gonna work harder to get out of this. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But now I I know I'm a janitor at my rental cabin.
0: Are you? Well, that's cleaning, different.
1: <laughs> I went from cleaning toilets to cleaning toilets. <laughs> but earning money while you're doing it. Yeah. Wait,
0: earning, English, yeah. earning, I don't know, whatever. You yeah. Know.
1: yeah, no, no, it's it's all good. I'm, and, and in this day and age, I just feel like we're blessed if we get to play music at all. You know, I mean, So I get friends calling me like, man, I got to get a day job. And I'm like, yeah, so? You know, you gotta feed your family. You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. You know, and, and it's for them it's like degrading, but it's just reality. I meet musicians all the time. I mean, guy, what's his name? The drummer from Devo was an electrician. He was gonna work on my house for me.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I don't yeah. You know, it's you do what you gotta do. It doesn't mean you're not creative, it doesn't mean you're talented. Well
0: the heyday of the music business is long yeah. gone, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I always say I I, I like the music. Better when the mafia ran it. <laughs> they used to take us out to really good Italian restaurants. <laughs> we had two buses.
0: Expand we on had, this. We had yeah.
1: huge debt. Right, like if Fire right, Train right. ever was successful, oh my God, we owed them so much money. Right. I would have never seen anything. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so so it was a great band to be in though, and so, we okay. did a lot of loops and stuff too, and uh, on some records. And,
0: right. The the I, um the Tuesday night music club thing, then that happened just but from hanging out with Kevin. Hang Jeff was around. yeah, like, yeah. It Just literally was just like let's it was a
1: hang. It was a literally a Tuesday night hang, BYOB or whatever you want to bring. Right. And every Tuesday night we jam, and Kevin at uh, one of them came up and said, "Hey, my girlfriend Cheryl, her record kind of got." panned by the record label and they they they're thinking about dropping her and i was wondering if she could come by just so we can cheer her up oh wow and she came in and man she can play man that girl she's talented she can play everything Mm -hmm. and that was kind of the that was what was so cool about it because sometimes i'd go there and bill would hand me a bass he's like you're not playing drums today you're playing bass oh crap oh i don't know how to do that you know and it was a real just a hang and then it evolved I think either Cheryl or Bill started playing some of the tracks to A&M and they were like, we like this, mm-hmm. keep doing this. This could be Cheryl's record. Wow. So it kind of, that kind of morphed into Cheryl's record. Now, some people were upset that she called it Tuesday Night Music Club. I I wasn't. I was like, that's great. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that Tuesday Night Music Club was going to keep its momentum and maybe we do other people's records or maybe we do our own thing. Right. But that kind of self because there were so many egos, man. Right. right. <laughs> I was just a fly on the wall. I was like, hey, man, I'm getting songwriting for just coming up with a drum groove. I'm in.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it worked out well for you for the second record. I mean, in that second record, sonically, man, has been like, I mean, I know... I know a lot of that's Chad, but, like, it's... Yeah, a lot of it's Chad. But for yeah. me, that record yeah. is, is yes. like, a huge, like, what the fuck is happening in there? Like, I yeah. need to figure this out, you know? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I gave, I gave you know, I, I started with lo-fi loops, and, and you know, I think we were listening to Latin Playboys, if you ever listen to that record, yeah. Yes, that was the record... So we were listening to before we made that record, so yeah. I was already in the zone. Right. And it was pretty much me, Jeff and 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 cheryl stuck at daniel lenoir's studio in new orleans it was a party right we kind of kept the party going and and did that and then she did some songs with bill too they are great right um but yeah it was it was a lot of fun
0: what was like the how much like sonic collaboration like so it sounds like you were bringing in these loop ideas and then and then chad has his thing yeah was he taking your ideas and then fucking yeah with you ironically?
1: He yeah he was like reprocessing some of my loops and yeah. and i just trusted him i was just like god this is the guy who did latin playboys and i love that record so whatever he wants to do i'm gung-ho and cheryl knew that too cheryl was pretty smart but yeah that's my that's kind of my favorite record actually of hers
0: right, Not so because nice.
1: i'm on it <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that i like it because i i know where her head was at then
0: right right i, I gotta look up the title of the first tune because i'm trying to remember what it's called because I, I like i can hear it going through my head but i just don't know the title of it and there's that ringy snare it's like Dum, da, bong. Yeah. <laughs> crazy Do you know what i'm talking about
1: yeah i think i was hitting if it's the one i was hitting a shovel with the snare drum maybe
0: ah really oh maybe angels that's it
1: yeah I, I was—I think I was hitting a shovel with, with with the snare on that, and I remember. Oh, what's his name? The bass player from uh, the Meters came down to play bass on it. Um,
0: Leo. Leo.
1: Was it Leo? I think it's oh. Leo. I'm so bad with names. He was so sweet. He was awesome, but he kept going. Are you guys going to do something about that snare? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so wait. I need yeah, to know, gonna turn it up. I need to know the brand of the shovel, man, because I have to go get one.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, I just saw you can buy Ringo tea towels. Like signature? Yeah, they're, the, they're the actual tea towels that EMI bought for the studio. Twenty dollars each. They're the exact same tea towels you can get for fifty cents. But I was sharing that with Chris actually this morning because I was we were cracking up about tea towels.
0: Um. Uh, um, I'm blanking, uh, McBride. Who's the guy that owns Blackbird in Nashville? Uh,
1: oh, oh, um, um, his wife's the singer. Why well, I'm, I'm blacking out too. Cause I've hung you know, out.
0: Yeah. Joe, oh. I want to say Joe McBride, but it's not Joe. McBride.
1: Yeah. Uh, John McBride.
0: John McBride has, oh. has also like very, he has his own, like, sp- you know, to specified, you know, thickness and whatever softness. Oh, really? You know, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah you've seen all those drums right you've been there have you been I, there
0: i no, i haven't been there no oh
1: it's crazy blair you walk in he's got like a drum locker that rivals any cartridge company yeah delay and just anything you want and the same with mics too like you open a room and it's all it's like a room filled with U 47s you're like what yeah he's accumulated so much stuff
0: i i've heard the stories of of the the tears of the tears of like, you can rent this set of mics. Yeah. Just Or you can upgrade to this set, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. I had a really weird experience with him where I was doing a session there with some people I didn't really know very well. And I guess he heard that I was in the studio. So he came in he's like, Brian McLeod. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, Hey, I'm working on a, a surround sound next door. And, uh, I want you. Have you heard the toy matinee and surround sound? I'm like, no. And he goes, come, come here and check it out. And I'm like, looking at the artist and looking at the producer. And the producer's like, well, it's John McBride. Go, we'll right. do something else. So he took me in there and played toy matinee and surround sound. It was amazing. I'd never heard it. Wow. This was like when he first built the place, I think.
0: Mean. What do you, what are your mics you have at home right now? I, you used to have a Coles. None. None right now?
1: That, that, Blair, you you got to design my whole setup for me. <laughs> it's going to be the Blair setup. I mean, I'm thinking about going kind of lo-fi because that's my thing anyway. I mean, as far as like, yeah, mics, the dude. mic thing. You know, I know Keltner was doing that at home and then he got so frustrated with people because they they didn't get it. And he was right. just, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he's got the cachet. He doesn't have to do it anymore if he doesn't want to. Right. But, um, yeah, I was thinking the three mic thing or just some, you know, there's some mics. I mean, like maybe my big splurge would be some, what are they, the, the Bear, Bear M8? m180s or m160s. what 60s m160s yeah. yeah maybe a pair of those mm-hmm. and something else i don't know yeah i sold my coals i sold everything
0: yeah i think that when i came to your house that was the first time i ever saw Kohl's. oh really yeah i have a picture of it in my head like oh that's so funny being like oh that's a weird looking mic, you know Yeah. <laughs> that
1: was awesome when you came over i i i'm I, you know i i hope i inspired some people because uh Dude, are you kidding me?
0: Let me, well, no, I'll tell you. I mean, so what I remember is, so I was playing with this guy Jude at the time. I was touring with him and you had played on the record. Yeah. Um, And it might've been Jude that introduced me to you. I don't remember.
1: It could be, yeah.
0: But we spoke on the phone and you were like, dude, why don't you come over? And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to go to Brian McLeod's." Yeah. Like for real. No. And we we hung out for like, a, like an hour or two just like bullshitting i remember sitting in your backyard on these chaise lounges yeah like, you know
1: you yeah, know i i like to spread the gospel of do do it yourself or at least i did back then now i'm now i'm like help me do it <laughs> <laughs> because i I'm, I'm i'm like i'm like a man who's in a time capsule because when i closed the door to my studio when i got back from that trip to bahrain I just started using it as storage and and I walked in one day and looked at my computer and everything. And I was like, wow, this is like a time capsule from 2002. Mm. You know, it's like, and that's where I left off. I mean, I quit doing pro tool. I just quit everything and just did sessions as a drummer because right. I was just so freaked out, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but you've kept it going, man. You've been, you, you, you're, you're on fire. Well, I, I was
0: just, I was just, that's when I was starting. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. when I, you know, so. But it's
1: good though. I'm i am glad you, you didn't lose the plot, you know?
0: You know, trying to, trying to keep it, man. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, you're doing it. You're doing it. And, uh, yeah. hey man, if I was doing a record as a singer, I'd, I'd say, hey Blair, put some tones on it. I'd hire, I'd hire Brian McLeod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. you know, sometimes, you know how sometimes like you, you do something and you sonically, you think it's just amazing and then you hear the mix it's like a certain mic in a room you put up that you just it's like chad blake or whatever and you just right. think the drums sound amazing and then the artist sends it to you and that mic is <laughs> pulled out and you're like okay all right it's your record
0: right right that was the thing <laughs> that was that, the thing that made this amazing exactly
1: yeah so i get frustrated with that kind of stuff but at the same time it is their record but that's why I said I'm pretty much just gonna do friends and family stuff, I think. Yeah. Um,
0: did you, did did you, I mean, with the industry changing, I mean, so a good majority of your career was on tape, right? Like. Yeah,
1: in and the then, 90s, yeah. yeah.
0: And then the, in, like the industry started, I mean, you were like really like in it, dude. Like you were in it at the right yeah.
1: time,
0: you know, in the late 80s. Yeah, 90s, it was, you know.
1: Yeah, me, me and Matt Chamberlain were, you know, pretty, working pretty, pretty regularly in the nineties, in yeah. the nineties. Yeah. Way well, back.
0: We had a fair, we had a very funny discussion about the nineties. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, but you know, I, it was fun. And, and I, I, when I realized it's not going to be that anymore and, the, you know, or maybe it will, I shouldn't say it's not going to, but when it kind of changed, it was hard for me because I was already submerged in a different world of, for me, it was such a social thing to go to the studio and see friends and hey, how are your kids doing? How's your doggy? Oh, you guys went to Spain? Oh, cool! But from that to get the drums done and send them to me, um, it's still cool though. I mean, because you can be at home and you don't have. If you don't want to bullshit with friends or people, you don't have to. Right. So it's got its upsides, but I'm I'm kind of a social guy, and I I like to I like to like. Bounce ideas off of people in in real time in the room. Yeah. And um, but I'll learn. I'll learn to to adjust.
0: I mean, you uh, can do
1: it, Blair. I can do it (laughs) by L.
0: Dude, you gotta come down here and, and track. I will. I, I would will. love Next to record. Come on down there,
1: I'm gonna call you if you're not yeah. busy.
0: No, I would love to
1: record. I get that to sit good. on the Chase lounge at your house and you, you can, can tell me how to it. It's about twenty
0: street. it's about twenty feet from here, so you know. <laughs> um uh I mean I was gonna say, you know, I, as much as I love doing this, and this felt like a necessity to me.
1: Oh yeah, it I have is a career.
0: Yeah. Um, man, you're absolutely right the social part of it is is really difficult. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really difficult because um, I love the creative control that I can have, but mm-hmm. it is that thing where you go down a rabbit hole, you're like, oh, it's literally just what you said. Oh, this is yeah. fucking dope. I have a cool thing here. You know, in this case, you send an MP3 and they go, yeah, but it sounds a little too crunchy. And you're like, "Right? yeah, I know. Your but- heart
1: goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. I just, I guess, because like the Tuesday Night Music Club, that to me was the pinnacle of creativity, where we didn't even know we were making a record. Right. That We didn't even know it was going to be put out. Right. So to me, that was the pinnacle where it was like just being in a garage with your neighbors who play music. And then the next thing you know, you know, 20 million records later, you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird. I have always, you know, cause I played with my older brothers. I played drums because my older brothers, one of them played guitar, one played bass and they needed a drummer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so they bought me a little kit and they were like, hit the snare on two and four, hit the kick drum on one and three. And then when we go like this, you stop wow so i was like the first human drum machine you know there were drum machines were around back then but we didn't have one so they just bought me a kit and i would just sit there keep my mouth shut and do what they told me to do
0: do they play at all still
1: they still play a little bit they didn't go in professionally we grew up in silicon valley so they were really smart and they grabbed hold of that and you okay. know yeah, my brother used to work at digit design and oh no shit. They got they got techie techie lives and uh does that
0: mean you got like a hookup on the digio one when it came
1: out? (laughs) um i think i did yeah okay good (laughs) he used to tell me the crazy because he did tech support he told me "Brian, i got the craziest calls i thought they were crank calls he said one one person called up and said okay i've got my typewriter and i've got my tv screen now how do i plug this thing into it oh my god to to also then you know meeting thomas dolby and helping him with stuff and you know jerry harrison and you know he 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 really had he had fun doing that wow now he's a sound designer and does sounds for um film and stuff but he he was one of the first guys to do a a a cd of, of uh samples his was called poke in the ear with a sharp stick and it's all industrial sounds and it was this was in the 90s he made that and oh. um, and
0: um just like on purely like synthetic sounds or what
1: no it's all industrial sounds of things he sampled in fact trent resner wanted to buy the catalog from him right out and not and tell him not to sell it but my brother at the time was like no i want people to have these sounds <laughs>
0: It was hard to see. It was hard to see where that was going to go. But yeah,
1: it was just <laughs> so good, you know.
0: Right, right. Wow. Um. So, what do you, what are your hopes for this room, dude? You want it just to like?
1: Well, first of all, I want to use it so I can learn how to play jazz. I uh-huh. there's you no. Know, I'm in a cabin, so my wife keeps telling me you don't have to soundproof. And I went, no. Well, I need to soundproof it for me in the inside. But as far as I don't really have, there's no neighbors around me for. Okay. So I could play as loud as I want, which is cool, but it sounds terrible in here. And what started it all was I was looking for the Holy Grail jazz ride cymbal, which I'm sure you have a few of them. And auditioning them in here, I would like hit it and say, oh, that doesn't sound. And then I'd get one of mine and go, oh, mine sounds better. Send it back (laughs) for another one. It doesn't sound very. I went through like 20 cymbals and realized it's the room. It's not the symbols, it's the room. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's totally, it's all square waves going in here because it's a square room. It's just like everything sounds terrible. And it's not very inspiring to practice.
0: Yeah, I I would think that'd be one of the biggest obstacles is like, you gotta have, it's gotta have some kind of mojo or pizzazz
1: or if anybody else has any ideas but i like your idea i was thinking about soundproofing it you know with tiles and then putting curtains over that like curtains so i can adjust if i want to open those curtains up you know like thick curtains
0: yeah look <laughs> i mean you know i you know i don't want to say that i'm right you know what i mean because i've never no. actually had to do that but i would say just make it dead
1: no i i th- I, mean, I mean i can't make it live so right. i think, exactly. I think is yeah, right. don't, don't yeah.
0: fight what you what yeah, and
1: my happened. studio in glendale was really dead and yeah. it was great for 70s drum sounds you know and and anything else not so great but i would i would do the thing of putting you know a vocal mic you know a nice tube mic in the control room and that helped a little bit a little yeah. bit of life yeah But I, I, and I could do that here too. I could, it's, it's kind of ironic because the the living room is tall giant ceilings. It's all post and beam. The floors are cement, which is kind of cool.
0: Kurt Pascara just just sets up in his living room. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Good for him. I mean, living rooms sound great. Living rooms sound great. Yeah. The living room here sounds great. If I really had to do something serious, I'd probably do that. But it's great here because I got the window. I don't know if you can see it, but you can. You can I'm looking outside at the at the coyotes. Um, yeah, the coyotes and the trees. And there's a little road that people walk by, and they don't even look over here. Oh, so okay. I don't even think they can hear me. Okay. Um.
0: It, maybe maybe you just your jazz chops are not impressive enough for them to turn their head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're embarrassed for me. <laughs> They're like he doesn't
0: have his Philly Joe licks down yet. Yeah, they're like that guy
1: should get a good job. <laughs> yeah, that is intimidating, man. Yeah, man. No, I you know. What are, are you
0: listening to? Like, what's your jam? Who's your? Jam? I, I'm
1: listening. I mean, as much Elvin Jones as I can take in. I mean, oh, it's okay, like, that's, more that's... like it's more like painting. And drumming, really. And it's ironic, because when I was a kid, I'd come home from school and just play my drums. Just, I would just sit and just whatever, you know? Like that, you know? And And I thought I was like autistic or something. I thought there was something wrong with me. And then I saw the PBS special on Elvin Jones, and he was talking about seeing colors. And I went, oh my God, I'm not crazy. So I'm kind of going back into that. Um, So, yeah, those are my influences. But, you know, I was going to say the one, you know, how like on all the lessons and everything, you go down the rabbit hole on YouTube. There's so many great jazz drummers and ideas and little lessons. One of the best ones I saw was uh, Greg Bissonette just talking about, remember, the ride cymbal is leading the whole thing. Yeah. Got to look at the ride symbol when you're playing and really get the slang happening, man. That's where it all is. Forget about all your confidence. Get that slang happening. And I'll tell you, that just changed my playing. Just him saying that, I was like, I owe, you know, <laughs> Greg. It's diff-
0: yeah, yeah, it's a different concept. It's top. Yeah, I mean,
1: I know you study jazz, so you, yeah, you know all that stuff. But
0: Yeah, I mean, I you know, my jazz playing, especially at this point, is.
1: Well we don't get to use it so much, but, right. but you got I mean you you but had some best teachers.
0: But yeah, the mentality of top down versus yeah. bottom up, you know, it's exactly. like it's like a total Yeah, it's,
1: it's like setting your kid hard. up uh left-handed.
0: Kind of, yeah. 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 But so you know, it's, you it's understand new, where the balance is, right? Yeah, it's,
1: like, it's new new and fun. It's like I always had this like I always, you know, steered away from it like nah. And, and now in my life at 60, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to conquer this beast. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Billy Higgins, man. That's my, uh,
1: Oh yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. There's so many great ones. And, and it, it, just like any other music, there's certain genres of jazz I don't like, and there's certain I really love and there's certain tunes I love and certain records I love. And not every artist does the same thing. Cause they're, cause they're, experimenting and so yeah i'm really and i bought myself like like my uh i I guess you would call it my my uh present to myself was i bought myself a really nice stereo and just i'm listening to vinyl now exclusively wow cool yeah
0: what's your what's your what's your favorite vinyl to put on
1: uh probably speak no evil wayne I love that record. Dude,
0: all those Wayne Shorter records, those solo Wayne Shorter records from like, I what is it, sixty three or sixty four to like sixty eight, like uh, "Speak No Evil," the Soothsayer. Yeah. I'm blanking. Uh, Inner urge, of course. Inner urge, yeah. Uh, no, wait. Or is that on "Speak No Evil"? Um, Inner anyway.
1: oh, yeah. But I'm well, talking about that. That that era. There's like.
0: There's like four or five records in that yeah, era,
1: and, in, and I, I actually I have one on my waiting list at this vinyl shop. But yeah, I just love Speak No Evil. I just love all that, you know.
0: Yeah. Oh, Inner Urges, John.
1: Right. I love. I really like modal jazz. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm I mean, not that's... not into the hard bop. I understand why they were doing that because that was basically their punk rock,
0: mm-hmm. really.
1: I mean, they yeah. were just like, yeah. we're going to play music that those guys can't understand. And we'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll show them what it's really like.
0: Yeah, totally. But any
1: Coltrane, any other, any Coltrane, his whole, you know, his whole development, I, I love how he developed. And I, I love Monk because his stuff is kind of humorous. Yeah, I actually bought Monk live because I grew up in the, in the South Bay and like Palo Alto. I was born in Mountain View. Yep. Somebody just released Monk live at Palo Alto High School. Really? (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole story behind it. I won't get too into it. But this kid who was a student lobbied to get Monk to play the high school. And by chance, the janitor said, hey, I've got a sound recording device. You want me to bring that down and record it? And this was like in the 60s, you know. Mm. So they recorded it and put it out on vinyl. And I think that might have been like the first of my new vinyl that I bought. I was like, I got Monk live at Pally High. Gotta yeah. have that. Was that your <laughs> high school? Sounds great, but he sounds great.
0: Yeah. Was that your high school?
1: No, I, I went to uh, Fremont High School. Okay. But they were our rivals in football. Ah. Gotcha. Uh, but it was so cool. I was like, I can't believe Monk played Pally High. Crazy. Because Monk was like, You gonna pay me, kid? And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> he was, okay, I'll come down. Cause he had a gig in San Francisco, I think at Keystone. Corners. Keystone Corners was amazing. I'm so glad my my drum teacher took me there a couple of times when I was a kid. I saw Elvin Jones and Tony Williams play there. And it's a tiny little club. It's gone now, but it was very famous in the circuit. So I saw Ayrton there. Saw a lot of great drummers. And I just the power of those guys playing without a mic to kit. And mm-hmm. just it really inspired me when I was, you know, I was like 14, 13, 14.
0: I'm going to take a left turn on you. Okay. Tell me about recording that giant John, John Hyatt record.
1: Ooh, that was fun, man. That that kind of got me, that 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 blindsided me because I was a huge John Hyatt fan. And yeah. and Matt Wallace called me and said, hey, you want to play on a John Hyatt record? And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> yeah. So we went in. Um I think I played my Yamaha recording customs on that, which are somewhere yeah. in storage.
0: Oh, I want to know where those are, dude. Black? Really? What color?
1: Are those like collector's items no, now? Oh,
0: yeah, dude. Those are totally like the jam again.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I almost gave them away. I'm glad I didn't. Oh, man. no. What color? Uh, it's that, that kind of the, the red wood. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I played that. And John was really uh taught me a lot he taught me that whole thing of playing straight and then like playing straight and then overdubbing a tambourine swinging or play this tambourine straight swing the drums and that was all new to me all that all that stuff and i loved it and i knew where, where it was coming from right you know all the drummers back in the day it was like they were swinging in jazz but they were playing rock and some of them were playing in between and I think some of Elvis, if you listen to some of Elvis's stuff, you hear that. Yep. It's like, is that swinging or is it straight? And I, I love that feel. Right. But when you're when you first try it in a recording studio on salary and you're like, <laughs> oh my God, this is hard. And then he'd <laughs> say stuff to, to me like, do you got like any like Sears hi-hats? And I happened to have like these crappy hats. I was like, oh yeah, these are perfect. And he goes, Yeah, put those up. So he was really into he was really attentive on and and knew what he wanted. So that was a lot of fun. And and the band was great. It was a great band. Mike Ward on guitar and oh yeah. John Pierce on bass. And right. you know, it was so much fun. It was incredible.
0: Um what when you were finding weird stuff man, that was the early nineties and you were out like yeah. for weird shit. Like, was yeah. that, was like was that through going on the road or was that just looking around to LA or like
1: LA mostly? Yeah. I didn't really take much stuff on the road. I was pretty straight ahead, but you know, I, I, I used to take old symbols and smash them with a hammer. And I got that from, from Bill Bruford when, that symbol on the Red album, what song is it? I can't think of it. And it doesn't, it sounds like a China symbol, but it's a little trashier. But yeah, I would take old symbols and just get the ball peen hammer and just smash them and and, and yeah, well, the same stuff you're doing, you know. And, and I, yeah, and, you
0: were doing the shit like fucking decades uh, before I was. Man. It, it
1: doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, my dream gig was to play with 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 Tom Waits. But guess what? His son is the drummer. That's a gig I'll never get.
0: Right.
1: There's so much nepotism now. Like, who's the drummer in Cheap Trick? Oh, Rick Nelson's son. Oh, yeah, who's Dax, uh, yeah. Who's Joe Collins. Collins, kid. Joe Collins. Oh, yeah. um, son. He's like, stop it! No, no it's cool. It's cool. I think it's cool. But but at the same time, it's like that's a gig I know I'll never have because I used to see him around up in the Bay Area. He used to go to this this uh, junkyard up in uh, Northern Marin and and just go around with a hammer and bang on stuff. And everybody knew you don't talk to him. Oh, yeah. And I think that's why he liked this town. Okay. It, um, okay. Katadi. Katadi was the town he lived in, and and he you know everyone knew. But like you, go, I'd go to breakfast with my brother because my brother lived in Katadi, and my brother be like, "There he is," oh, and you're just like fighting, wanting to, you're like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but yeah, I love all that experimental stuff, and you've inspired me. I mean, that's why I like watching your channel because it's like that's what I would be doing if I was still still gung-ho
0: i mean thank you dude that's really kind because you you, i mean you have no idea how much time i spent playing along to you you know
1: like seriously don't spend too much time doing that no it it, it helped trust me (laughs) (laughs) oh you know and sometimes people have come to me and said how did you get that hi-hat pattern on this song and i'm like dude i was playing straight that's the compressors Mm mm-hmm there's some, uh, there's, I think there's a Sheryl Crow song on the first record where the, the drummer who took over, I can't remember who it was at that time. There's so many drummers, but he's like, I can't get that hi-hat pattern. It's like so broken up and weird. And I'm like, that's the compressors going in and out, buddy. You right. just play straight. Right.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to there's think a of lot something. of
1: illusion in my playing. I'm People think... to... what Go t- ahead.
0: What, what, what tune are you talking about?
1: Which song? Yeah. Or... I can't remember. Um it's 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 like leaving Las Vegas or something. Oh yeah. Maybe. Probably. It might be leaving Las Vegas. I don't think it's
0: leaving Las Vegas. I always figured that was a drum machine. That's you.
1: No, there is a drum machine, but I think I overdubbed the hi-ass. Okay. Maybe it's not leaving Las Vegas. I can't remember what no, it is. Oh, I was. think
0: it is. Well, in in my brain right now,
1: yeah, right. it could be it could be there's a couple of songs in there where Bill has it so squashed that, yeah. that the hi-hats are kind of going in and out and it sounds fantastic and I love it, but I didn't play it that way. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the the night the uh the uh, The Smashing Pumpkins tune. I'm blanking on that. 1979. Yeah. The hi-hats are kind of coming in and out in that pattern.
1: Yeah, right? And and, and you can learn it and that's cool, but that's probably not what he played, right?
0: But you know, that's inspiration for other yeah, people.
1: yeah, you could come up with stuff by listening to it, get yeah. ideas. Yeah. Well dude, thanks for your time, man. Hey, thank you. Yeah for asking me. It all started with my Blair help me. <laughs> I, well, the square it, room with it, hell yeah, square sound waste. Well
0: we're gonna we're gonna check in soon, man when you okay when you and right. I want to
1: come visit you definitely. And the door is always open. Come up here anytime.
0: Yeah, I gotta get my skis back on, man. It's been a while.
1: Oh, we're going. You you just you just said it, man. I'm are you, not
0: are I, you like slalom- I'm gonna
1: bug you. I'm gonna bug you to the end of the earth. Yeah. No, I, I ski I ski like a gentleman now. My my crazy skiing days are over. I used to have this talking speedometer, and it was an English woman, it was on my an app. And I checked it out in my car, like I drove around the neighborhood, and I was like, wow, this thing is accurate. And she'd be like, You are now approaching 57 miles an hour. And I loved her voice, but I started getting faster and faster. So I had to dump that app. And now I ski like a gentleman. No (laughs) moguls? Not really. We do have some here. We have one run that has some good moguls. And I go to Mammoth. But but yeah, you, you you dare me. Well, I and I dare you. We'll go do some moguls.
0: Okay. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Okay. Our, our 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 bass drums will be never never the same. Our bass drums. Are- <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. That's why we don't want to do that. Maybe no
0: knees and no hips. There we go.
1: Exactly. <laughs> All <laughs> right, Claire.
0: Excellent to talk to you,
1: Brian. Thanks for having yeah, me, man. man. You helped me out a lot. I think you gave me some encouragement on. All right on the dead. Yeah, I want
0: to see the progress.
1: Yeah. I'll definitely send you stuff. Thanks, Blair.
0: All right, Brian. Take care.
1: All right. Take care. Bye.